you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, unsettled Apple. The stock suffering its worst back-to-back sell-off in nearly three years now. The Investment Committee debating the road ahead for the biggest name in this market. Joining me for the hour today, right here at Post 9, Josh Brown, Stephanie Link, Jim Laventhal, Bill Baruch. Let's check the markets uh, because we do have an interesting story developing here. Uh, Apple, obviously, uh, is the big story. NASDAQ's down for the fourth straight day. We're going to get to all that. Put up Meta, too, guys, because we're noticing, too, within the last 20 minutes or so, a real hard rollover for shares of Meta uh, intraday. Look at that. Uh, So that's weighing on the NASDAQ as, as well. But, Josh, I I go to you. Uh, We can start on Apple and we can transition here uh, as we try. And uh, we've been unable to find any direct news leading to what you're looking at on that chart. Nonetheless, um, that's just adding to sort of the issues that the Nasdaq is uh, is feeling at the moment. Down four straight days. Um, Apple worse back to back losses in a few years. As goes Apple, so goes the market right now. Maybe right this second, and we have to define market because the Dow is green and I have all kinds of stocks that are higher today. I think Apple is absolutely having a big impact on the other NASDAQ names. I don't know if there's meta-specific news or if it's just people selling the queues and money coming out of those stocks. But um, the Apple thing is tricky here. They have had this kind of saber-rattling stuff go on with the Chinese government before. Apple is one of the few companies that actually has a great relationship with the Chinese government historically. But it's always going to be a chess piece that, you know, can be knocked around any time that there are tensions between the United States and and China. We're all accustomed to that. There were all sorts of things going on when they were trying to launch new phones and and China trying to bolster some of their domestic competitors. So we, we can't rule out that it's over. I would just say that this is a huge reaction to something that doesn't feel like fundamentally it's that big of a game changer. It's some government employees in China being being told not to purchase an Apple phone for their work. That's that's as far as it goes. Could it get worse? It, it could. Well, but the reports are that they might broaden it. I mean, that, yeah, of course, that, they that's, might. That's, that's that's what's happening. You know, Steph, Wolf today asks the question, is Apple finally breaking? They say, as you know, and I'm quoting here from their note, we're huge fans of relative performance, which is why the negative divergence on the stock's July 17th high only raises our suspicions. Looks to us like the stock wants to challenge the longer term support on dual fronts in the low 160s. I'll just go back to the issue of, you know, you're, you're underweight, some of these names. Um, you know, the market can't necessarily afford the NASDAQ to have a rollover. Can't afford the biggest stock in the market to all of a sudden have a bout of weakness. But it's going to be hard to overcome that. I totally agree. And I think that the S&P 500 having... 35% of its weightings in tech and in comm services also, it's not going to just be Apple that goes down. It's going to drag down a lot of other names. And you can't have that happen and the market actually participate higher. So here's the thing about Apple. It is so over-owned, right? And whether you're underweight or overweighted, some people believe you should be 7% weighted in the name. I think that that's 
from a Ritz point of view, I couldn't do it. So I'm 1% weighted, um, which means I'm six basis points, a six percent rather underweight. That's the name. And it's been it's been painful this year. But the stock's still up 36 percent in the year. It trades at 29 times earnings. And I'm not 100 percent sure why you would pay 29 percent, 29 times for earnings that are down one percent, total revenues that were down five percent, iPhone sales uh, were down two percent iPad sales were down 20%. So I get the story of gross margins, OPEX coming down, free cash flow. But I don't know if I want to pay 29 times. And in terms of the China data, China is 20% of total revenues. That's a big number, right? And so this, uh, the iPhones, they do about 40 to 50 million in the region. And if you ban the government uh, people, that's about 5 to 10 million. And for every one million iPhones, it's about a penny a share to earnings. So you can see it could get uh, it could get bigger if the ban broadens out. Well, it can so. all be much ado about nothing, too. I mean, there's, you know, it's like a act first, assess later market at the at the moment. But so, when it's that over-owned, Scott, and it trades at 29 that's the, times, that's the point. If that's the, you know, if, if, you're, if, if this stock were lower, sell. if this stock were lower yeah. and had been less bid up, and there were less hot money in this situation, the reaction would. have... Apple's down seven percent over the last two days, and actually, we we ran the numbers. How frequently does this happen? It doesn't happen often, but it has happened before, and it has never been great. To Stephanie's point, for the overall market, um, there have been 12 times on a rolling two-day period going back to September of 2022, where Apple has fallen by 7%. And that has coincided with broader market weakness because it is an important stock in every index. It's in every major ETF. Um, but NVIDIA is down too. And I want to point out that NASDAQ has 73% of its components negative right now. So it's more than just Apple that's going on. Bill Baruch, it's one of your biggest positions. Yeah. Uh, and you do have it at 6%. And, you know, Steph's taken issue with the size that some people are willing to hold this stock. You want to respond to that, explain how you're feeling about this sell-off and what you think it, it means from, for where we go from here? Yes. Within our equity bucket, that picking stocks, half the portfolio, it, it is actually about 5%. So we're underweight the index about at, at 7 right now. Um, I, I think it has to be, you know, how you build out a portfolio has to be one of the top positions. I think there's two narratives that are, that are really playing out. First, is this really just speeding up the inevitable? Is China's move here potentially speeding up the inevitable in the sense that Huawei has seven nanometer chips that are really potentially going to compete with Apple and start selling to Asia, start selling to Europe, and that could take away sales there. The other story potentially is, is the elephant in the room. I think that services, and Apple's going to become more dependent on services. Obviously, selling less phones gets services in the hands of less people, but Apple, Apple Wallet is going to start taking more and more share from places like PayPal. I think that's something to pay attention to as well. And you but know, services is only 26% of total revenue. But it's revenue. three times larger over the last five years. So that growth is really They're still a product company. Yeah. Yes, they're still a product company. But I, and so I, I think that's where that revenue. I think it's quarter two of 2022 was the was the um, the recent quarter was the lowest of iPhone sales since then. So we're seeing that trend lower. It's less than half of the revenue now. I think Stephanie. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but yeah. I, I think. The elephant in the room, as you as you suggested, may be nothing fundamental about any of their parts of their business, their core, the phones, et cetera. It may be the valuation is the biggest elephant in the room um, because it's, you know, a large amount above its historical average where it's trading now at a time where Steph said, look where the overall, you know, gym revenue growth has been over the last few quarters. Does that divergence of a multiple expanding while revenue growth is declining makes sense. 
Plain and simple. Easy uh, question. So I'm going to take your bait. It it doesn't make sense. It's not a good setup. All that being said, I don't think the floor is opening up underneath Apple. I mean, first off, a little perspective. I do think it'll go lower, by the way, but I don't think this is a crash going on here. A little perspective here. Everybody's giving perspective, right? The stock is where it was 10 days ago. This is not, you know, uh, 10 days ago, we weren't thinking there was a crisis. We were so young and innocent then. (laughs) I know, and I've hardened. I've hardened. But no, look, obviously the China news is not good. But let's also face it that there's a lot more to the stock than just China. I mean, I can't I can't think of anybody I know who owns an Android phone. I can remember five years ago, a lot of people trotting out their Android phones, thinking they were going to be avant-garde, you know, the next (laughs) the next edge. Those people have all switched to Apple. I mean, Apple is in the pole position here. And as far as China goes, I'm not minimizing this. It certainly affects other stocks like Boeing. But there is a give and take. There is a tug of war going on between the U.S. and China right now. There's going to be bad days like this last week. There, were, there was good news when Secretary of Commerce uh, Ramonda was over there having fairly decent conversations. That, in fact, may be China needs rally. China needs Apple, maybe not as much as Apple needs China. China needs Apple. Foxconn is the biggest employer in, in, in China in that high-tech space. There is, I will take the under, there is literally zero danger of Huawei being a credible competitor to, to Apple point, in the West. To this in the point. West. In the West. West. I got not you. in Asia. Don't forget that Here's, Huawei put out a phone last week or in the last two days you, you that they it. are trying All to right. you know, make the flagship in China. That's great. I'll get, I'll get you one for your birthday. Here's the real elephant in the Please. room iPhone revenue has been extremely choppy, and I don't know that that will ever change because you run out of hands to put an iPhone into at a certain point. There's a reason why Tim Cook is is in India, and they're talking about it because they don't have the next growth market. It's a replacement business now. Consider this. iPhone revenue from Q4 2020 um, into Q4 2021, the, the, the growth numbers, 17% in one quarter, then 65, then 50, then 47. That was a miraculous period of time for Apple iPhone, uh, iPhone sales. Now it's a different story. Now you're talking about 10, negative 8, 2, and negative 2 last quarter. And now we have the 15 coming out, and now we have the big event in September. Does that materially change the choppiness of iPhone sales? Everybody's you're, on board with the services. Everybody right. gets that. You're right. This is the elephant in the room. It's going it to be down 11 percent this year. iPhone sales are going right. to be down 11 percent this year, but analysts expect it to snap back to be up 10 percent next year. I think some of this also is the rotation, Scott. Right? I mean, higher interest rates, long duration assets, the growth. It's going to suffer. Technology is going to suffer. I think that, that's a big part of what's going on because you are seeing a broadening out and a rotation. Look at Russell 1000 growth. It's down almost 100 basis points today. Russell 1000 value is flat on the day. So you are seeing a rotation back into value, and I think Apple's getting caught up in it. Put, put another way, uh, the, the, average, the average stock is measured by the equal weight S&P 500 in the last two days is down about 1%. Apple's down about 6%. Now, to the question you asked, Scott, can the market rally if Apple falters? No, that's pretty hard. On the other hand, to the point Stephanie's making, this can be a source of funds outside yeah. of tech for people like me, I'll dare to say Stephanie, too, yeah. who are looking to add on the dips. All that said, I don't think today is the day you wade into Apple. This looks like a falling knife. Let it find its bottom. Pick the knife up falling. Knife. It's down a couple of days. You're declaring it a falling knife. You don't think that the stock, a stock like this, at, at Look, some s- soon degree, is going to be Scott, bought like a lot of these other Nasdaq stocks? I, I do. That's exactly what I was saying. But not today. Look, wh- whether you buy it or sell it, the important thing is that you panic. 
I want to point out. I want to point out the well, Nasdaq. Sounds like Jim's panicking. No, I'm not panicking. I just told you I'm going to buy it, but just oh, you're baiting guys, me. Guys, we, right, we always you do this. Me. Guys, this, to me, this is this is really important point to bring out. The Nasdaq is where all the volatility is this year. Um, it's not always that way, but if you think about it, we've gone 136 trading days into today without a plus or minus two percent move in the S&P 500. It's been as tranquil as any market I can remember. Um, the NASDAQ, it's not the same. They've had 14 times a plus or minus 2% move in the NASDAQ on any given day, yeah. which is not as high as it could be. No, I'm glad but you it's say definitely that. where the volatility That's is right now. That's what Bespoke was talking about today. It's not so uncommon. Um, to see this level of volatility That's in right. the NASDAQ as you get into September. There is more scrutiny, stuff though, on, on rates being higher and maybe higher for longer and what the implications are going to be. I go back to the thought that, you know, or, or maybe a question as to, do you really believe that declines in these names are not going to be scooped up in short order because this is still where the action is? Not where these multiples are. So I think you're going to have to have a, some sort of a de-rating in the multiples for people to get more excited. I'd be more than happy to buy this thing down if it's down another 10, 20, 15, 20%. We'll see. Um, but I don't even know if at that point I have the confidence in the multiple because I don't have confidence in the numbers because the trends are not great for Apple. I'd much rather actually buy Amazon, which is trading at 40 times earnings now, versus 122 times over the last 10 years. And you are, you are seeing a bottoming, a basing in AWS. Retail margins are really expanding nicely, and I think that they can do more going forward. So I like that operating leverage story. And oh, by the way, I would also buy Meta if it were to fall. Again, you know, I've been trimming it, uh, and it just keeps going up and up and up. Um, but I would buy that one, too, because you have real momentum in reels. You have click to message. You have Facebook blue. You have year of efficiency. You have revenue. Revenue is going from 11% growth last quarter to 24% expected next year. And Morgan Stanley was out with a nice note today mm -hmm. saying that they expect $20 in earnings power over time. Hey, what, if, what if positioning, Jim, has right-sized itself to the point where Bank of America today says, who's left to buy the Magnificent Seven? Well, a lot of people were off sides. A lot of money came in. Is there really anybody left? Maybe the upside risk they suggest is capped based on their positioning data, which maybe has gotten a little bit more on sides. Well, I mean, my, my answer can only be anecdotal. I mean, all of us talk to a lot of our brethren and, and sisters in the business, and most, not all, but most that I speak to are underweight these mega names uh, versus the benchmark. And so most, including me, by the way, are looking at pullbacks like this and saying it's an opportunity to add to it. I don't think, and I said this earlier, I don't think there's something fundamentally flawed uh, with Apple or Meta or any of these names. So I do think, I disagree with, I disagree with the premise. I think there are plenty of managers like me who may own these names, but not in the size that they want to, and would add on pullbacks. What about the market right now, Bill, as we sort of broaden it out? Like, um, where do you think we are? Feels, you know, we're, we're a little edgy um, again mm -hmm. as we enter a historically bad period. Now, it's usually not that historically bad when we've been this historically good from the beginning of the year through August. So what do you think? Yeah, I think we're still working through that seasonality. And, and here's the interesting thing that took my, took my uh, focus on, on Friday. We had some really great, this last Friday, some really great data, very soft. You know, Jolts was down, ADP finally came in, GDP was revised lower. We had this Goldilocks non-farm payroll report, and the market couldn't really capitalize on that. What actually happened was the bonds, which bond market traded higher, meaning yields came down. But within the hour after the report, the bond market turned red and has been selling off ever since then. You know, as we saw the odds of a Fed rate cut, 
but move from June to May. I wonder if the bonds are pricing in the potential of a reflation in the middle part of next year. And that's something that, that could be I wasn't anticipating so much, but I'm watching very closely here. You know, if the bonds continue to sell off, it's going to be a headwind to tech. But I love finding when things are finally getting a little bit out of favor. Like right now, we're sitting here talking about Apple. Everybody's talking about how much Apple's down. There's a big level in Apple about 170. You get a lot of negativity going into the, the Apple iPhone launch, and maybe now we get a, a rebound in front of it. I think nothing's going to change that, that tech has had a tremendous year, so 50% the first half of the year. If the rates don't become too much of a headwind, which we've seen tech rally with rates rising, it's just the pace in which they rise, I, I think we get through this seasonality that you referred to, Judge, and you know, we'll see things get back on track October through December and finish very strongly. That's how I'm looking at it. I mean, the value, the quote-unquote value people, the ones who are underweight, the mega cap names, like the, the two of two of these people next to you, make the argument that the rest of the market can do just fine. It doesn't need mega cap necessarily, and they don't need to be in or overweight those names. Well, what we've seen happen is... Do you agree or disagree with that? I, I think in the near term, if you're going to see the Apples and the Magnificent Seven, they're going to sell off. It's going to weigh down the larger indices. But you look at the Dow today, as Josh referred to, you look at the Dow today, and it's it's hanging positive. And, and you know, we own, we've, we've leveled out our portfolio. And that's what I did through July. We really took down that 50% tech and 25% semiconductor exposure, took that down, leveled it out to some of the value stocks, put money into energy and healthcare, which I'm sure we'll get to a little bit. But that's where you want to even it out. And then you want to use that cash that you've raised to, to take advantage I of the I mean, it's a defensive kind of day. And that's why, you know, the Dow is, is clinging to the positive nature of, of where it is, right? Healthcare, Josh is a, is a leadership spot today. United Health is up near 2%. Johnson & Johnson, Staples, Procter & Gamble, utilities doing well. Some of the banks are responding. Energy's been a good trade. Not exactly the sexiest areas of the market. Look, I think that one of the key things that's happening this year that I really like is the normalization of interest rates. And what's come along with that is the normalization and dispersion. We are now hitting multi-year lows uh, uh, multi-year high uh, lows in that that idea that all the stocks have to trade together. Um, and, and what we've seen is dispersion make a huge comeback. And that's why you could have days like today where they reach for names that are away from the NASDAQ 100. You see selling in semiconductors. Semiconductors got way overbought. It's a great example of this. Um, the SMH is having a horrible day today. It's down about 3%. These stocks were darlings all through July, most of August. Um, by the end of August, 93% of the companies in the SMH semi-ETF uh, were, were above their 200-day moving average or in, a, in an uptrend. That's about 60% now. That, there's room for that to, to deteriorate further. Um, where does the money go when it leaves there? Sure, some goes to T-bills, but then take a look at the energy complex. These stocks are bid almost every day this month so far. So I think that we should be grateful that things are normalizing and that it's not all one trade and that there is that dispersion and that there are other things you can do to make money even on a red day. The question is, Jimmy, what are the last four months going to hold that, you know, if you if you do, you know, the, the call for many is that, you know, yeah, you get some turbulence now, but then you get a big rip. You get a big rip once you get through it into the end of the year, whether it's a chase for performance or, or what have you. 
Do you subscribe to that view? Very strongly. Very strongly. I think there's going to be a face-ripping rally uh, fourth quarter. Look, September is being September, and there's always a fundamental reason for it. You know, whether it's going on with Apple or fears about the consumer and maybe the uh, unit labor cost numbers today, whatever. There's always a reason, but September is just being September. What you're missing, if you're, if you're buying into the idea that September we go lower from here, you're buying into the idea that the economy isn't as strong as it clearly is. We see that the jobless numbers today show that the labor market is intact. Yes, showing some cracks, but the consumer is going to do just fine. It looks very strongly like profits troughed last quarter. And so every indication that the trend of this year of the markets and the economy just doing just fine will continue. And to the point you made, Scott, yeah, performance chasing, that's going to catch up. There have been a lot of people all year who have been offsides from the start of the year, calling for a recession, calling for a retest of the October lows. They now are running out of time. That's I mean, what creates a base perform, If you're going to performance chase in in this market, you're probably doing it with one or two FANG stocks. Probably, like, right? That's like what vehicle, what vehicle do you, don't tell me small caps. Right? No, no, that's why, like, like, that's why we suggest it. that these names will be bought in, in any, any bigger sell-off than what you've already witnessed over the last couple of well, days why? in some if of these names. Keep, if rates why wouldn't go, they? Why, why, though? If rates keep going higher, why would you do that? Why wouldn't you own some of the more value names that have lagged where the valuations are actually more attractive? You just mentioned energy. Well, because you're I mean, willing energy to... Energy stocks are up. The, the XLE is up 18% from its low, yet it's only up about 3% on the year. Well, because so, you're willing to pay up for the best companies with the best balance sheets sitting on the most cash and, and, and all, and they're defensive in a way, you, too. You'll, you'll, you'll find, those names, the you'll find you, those names in the XLE, too. What, what you've just said... Will. And what Josh just said are logical and true, right? It makes sense that they're going to go to Apple and Microsoft and NVIDIA, except when they don't. And I don't know that the last two days is going to be the new trend, but it's showing that that can happen. That you can't have, like today, right, Apple's whatever off 3%, the equal weight S&P 500 is off 25 basis points, basically flat. It can happen. I'm not saying that you guys are wrong, because it makes a lot of sense, but it can Let's happen. Let's talk about a move. Way. Speaking of energy, you mentioned XLE. Um, Pioneer Natural Resources. Mm. Uh, Bill, yeah. you bought more of that? Tell yeah. us. Yeah, I, I love it. I mean, as, as an E&P company, they're really tethered to the price of oil. And oil has done a really terrific job basing out above $80, and it's continuing to rip. So I, I think that's a tailwind there. They also have really high-quality Permian, Permian assets, and they, they've been able to extend the lifeline of their, of their wells. I think they're just really well-positioned here as rising crude oil prices to really help uh, grow their margins. So I, I, I really like energy at this space. And uh, imagine if China really kind of turns on their growth engine and what it could do to, I mean, we could see $100 crude oil. Steph? Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, 10% in my portfolio in energy, as you know. And I, just a couple of weeks ago, we talked about, I, I added to Chevron because it was a laggard. It was down 12% in the year when a lot of the stocks that I own are up mid-single digits. But Chevron I like because it's diversified, trades at 12 times earnings. I would buy that all day long. And I also like SLB Schlumberger too, because you've heard me talk about talk, talk about technology and digitization at the company, and that's helping them increase prices uh, and increase margins. And so I think, and by the way, International is just starting to inflect higher, and that's 80% of their business, right? And 50% of that is offshore. And both of those segments are really where you want to be in services at this point in time. And if you can get a stock number one in the industry for 18 times forward estimates. I take that one all day long too. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I second that. I mean, we got Schlumberger, we got Chevron. I, I really like where you are with that. That's, that's a terrific spot to be. Okay. Uh, up next, we'll do our chart of the day. Uh, the index down again today, and it's the only key index down over the past three and six months as well. We'll find out how we're positioned in the space. We'll tell you about. 
There it is. We're back in two minutes. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome back. Our chart of the day today, small caps. The Russell under pressure. It's down more than 5% in a month. I want to chat about it. You have about 5%, Bill, yep. small cap exposure. Yep. Um, should we be concerned about this space? Jim makes this passioned case that the economy is so good, um, and we know how strong it is, but the Russell doesn't want to believe it, apparently. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, we have a passive sleeve, about 15%. It's 5% of that is, is small caps. Now, I, I would think that if we're looking for outperformance somewhere, uh, small caps coming into the middle of this year, say through June, was the place that we were going to get it. Now, they have underperformed in the last month. They're down more than 10%. And one of the reasons, the big headwinds here, if you look at the KRE, the regional banking index, it's, it's down you know, 11% over the last month. As yields, the days that yields go higher, this regional banks get slammed. There's a lot of fear with, their, with what they're holding in their balance sheet. There's fear of, of the consumer eroding and, and some low-quality consumers and, and how that will affect the banks. So that's the biggest headwinds here for the small caps. If we can see a light in the tunnel for regional banks, I think the small caps can easily outperform in the second half of the year, but it's going to be tough. Yeah, well, Steph, we were talking about this in the last day or two, whether it was here or Closing Bell, this idea you wouldn't touch the small cap no. banks, the no. regional banks, you said. And they, what, make up the largest part of the Russell 2000. And that's why small caps have not done well, right, to, to Bill's point. So I don't think that they're going to see a recovery, Scott. I think that there are too many challenges for them. Capital raises for one, market share losses for two. And I, I just think that maybe even the dividends, which are now actually quite high, they may get cut as a result. So I just think that's an area I don't want to be in in financials. I think the big guys are taking market share. We've talked about it. And I know we're going to talk about financials in a little bit. Josh? Yeah, it's a tough space. The banks definitely make it hard. But I just think small caps in general has always been an asset class where you just have to believe that good things have a way of happening to cheap assets. And so these stocks as a group, the, the index itself, you look at the IWM, X-ray it, you're seeing like 13 times forward earnings, which is pretty reasonable. But one of the things that you're going to run up against is if we're higher for longer, then that makes it more difficult for smaller companies to uh, finance, refinance, borrow money, uh, establish credit, whatever they're going to do. It's going to cost them more now than it did three years ago, five years ago. These are just the facts. And unless you think there's some imminent reversal where we're cutting overnight rates and we're going to make uh, a big dent in that, that's going to be a headwind for a lot of the companies, not just the banks, in the Russell 2000. You've got industrials in here. You've got insurance companies. You've got uh, healthcare companies. Company, you know, it's a fairly diversified. The other thing is, it's pretty much an ex-tech index. 
tech is not important in this index. Uh, and that's where a lot of the earnings growth is probably going to come from, maybe not in the, in the last quarter of this year, but the forward outlook, one year, two mm-hmm. years, three years. Um, so do you want to be ex-tech? Do you want to be overweight ex-tech? And so a lot of what goes on with small caps, to Bill's point, to Stephanie's point, it's not really about market cap size, it's industry. Which industries are in favor? And small caps are a tough place. Unless, Jim, you know, you say, well, valuations are so attractive now. They've been, though, for a while. Well, sure, for a reason, as you suggested. Does that turn? Some make the argument that it will. It it may, but I look at this somewhat differently. And I think Josh was alluding to this when he said pick industries. I pick stocks within the small cap index. And the reason I do that is because it's the most inefficient portion of the U.S. stock market. You know, I can't tell anybody on this panel or, you know, watching us something about Apple that the rest of the world doesn't know. I don't have some special information that my analysis got to. On the other hand, small cap stocks, which generally get overlooked and unloved, you can find out things that the rest of the world just doesn't. What's your favorite Russell 2000? Give us your lock of the week. What do you got? Yeah, the lock, lock of, of the week. week. You know I can't do it I'm over a week. Okay, but lock, over the next year, the lock MP of the whatever. Corp. MP Corp. What's your lock? MP Corp. <laughs> open-ended lock. I think it's MP Corp. <laughs> you guys are terrible. Come on. What's your MP open-ended Corp. It's a rare lock? element mining. You PG in that for me? <laughs> what's PG? Personal guarantee? Oh, what's yeah. the point PG. spread on it? Jeez. What's the point spread on your lock of the week? Which way? What's the stocks? I'm sorry. I really want to know. MP Corp. It's the rare earth element miner out in Mountain Pass, California. Okay. Okay. All right. I think we're going to have to leave it there. We're good. <laughs> Let's We're get good. to Bertha with the headlines. Let's Bertha? do it. Thanks very much. Healthcare insurance costs are expected to jump to the highest rate in years. The Wall Street Journal reporting data that showed how employer and individual coverage will be impacted. Employer coverage costs are expected to climb 6.5% in 2024, while individual insurance plans under the Affordable Care Act are expected to rise by 6%. Microsoft researchers say they found suspected Chinese-controlled fake social media accounts using artificial intelligence to sway U.S. voters. The researchers did not say which platforms were affected, but screenshots showed posts potentially from Facebook and Twitter, now known as X. A Chinese embassy spokesperson discounted the claim, saying they were full of prejudice. And a Russian businessman with ties to President Vladimir Putin was sentenced to nine years in prison for his role in a $100 million hacking and insider trading scheme. The hacker ran an information technology company that worked for top offices in the Russian government. He was convicted of wire and securities fraud. Scott. Bertha, thank you. Bertha Coombs. Up next, some pain or some gain? More pain. That is what one firm says about the banks. We'll debate it next. Halftime's back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit ODFL.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. I call the daytime HSBC today, initiating coverage of the banks. Buy ratings on Goldman, Morgan Stanley, and Bank of America. It's the hold call on JP Morgan that got us thinking. Because hold on JP Morgan, Josh Brown, your stock. The one stock of the big banks that you own and love. 
What do you think about this call? I mean, I, I, get, I get it. If we're like playing a relative valuation game, there may be uh, lower, lower price stocks that you can own in the group. Um, but outside of that, I really don't see the rationale of not wanting to own the best name. It's not like it's trading at, at three times book value and the rest of the space is trading at one. So I would disagree with, with uh, the conclusion of, of the research and I would probably just ignore it just as I have a million other downgrades and neutral calls on this stock for years and years and years and years to come. Jim, you own JPM. Stephanie Link, you own Morgan Stanley and Bank of America. Both of those, Steph, initiated by at HSBC. Yeah, and, and I agree with the call because it's a capital markets recovery call and then investment banking fees are likely to recover as well. And remember, C the CEO, uh, James Gorman of Morgan Stanley, was on CNBC talking about how he thought capital markets bottomed like two months ago. So we haven't seen it yet exactly, but I do think the valuations are very depressed, at least in the capital markets piece, if you think we're at a trough. So that's why I like Morgan Stanley. I also like the asset management business and the investment management business. Both uh, Morgan Stanley and Bank of America have a nice are, diversified are the business base. Are the base. consensus estimates, though, uh, baking in a full-scale recovery no. for capital markets yet? No. I don't think they are. Not even close. No one's even talking about it. This is like no. the first report I've seen that even mentions a trough in capital markets. We could have a trough, but not an improvement. We'll have an improvement. We'll have an improvement with the markets where they are. I, hopefully. Right? I, I, well, uh, but then, I'm, I'm, then here's, another, here's another way this goes. They trot out this arm holdings, and it hits the market like a meteor, and it flops on day one, and then that sets back what everyone else thinks is going to be a recovery in capital markets. Is Instacart going to be such a hot deal that there are going to be five IPOs a week later? The I don't point, know. Well, the point being is the pipelines are really very robust right yeah, now. because nobody and, can go public for well, two years. But that's right, but at least they, but they will eventually if the market ends like here today at the end of the year and you're up 15% on the year, that's great for capital markets and activity in general. Speaking do, of. Do we, wait, wait, do, we, do we agree, though, that 2021 will be a high water mark for capital markets activity that we may not return to for years. We're not going to return to it this year. I think it's a next year kind of thing, but I want to buy stocks today based on what I believe for next year, especially with the valuations where so, they are. But then just before we continue the conversation, it's a good reminder since we're talking capital markets. I, I'm sure that's one of the questions that, that our colleague David Faber is going to ask in his exclusive interview today with David Solomon, the Goldman Sachs CEO. Uh, it's going to happen at 4.15 Eastern time because obviously Goldman's such a key player uh, in the future of capital markets yes. and whether you're going to get a recovery. So don't miss that interview. They'll talk that and I'm sure uh, everything else that's been swirling around Goldman Sachs, too. Speaking of, you sold Jimmy Goldman Sachs about six weeks ago. I did. You remember that earnings report, the second quarter earnings report that actually was kind of ugly, um, took advantage of the pop that happened after that. I, look, I don't think Goldman Sachs is a, is a terribly damaged franchise, but there's some hair on it right now. And I just wanted to get out of the way. I do think as we go through this September swoon and as I put money back to work, that the financials are, are a place that I would put it back to work. And it may well be Goldman Sachs, but not at this price, not without a little bit more of that hair being shaved off of it. So I'll listen to what David Faber uh, and Mr. Solomon have to say. Uh, you know, the palace intrigue around his uh, CEO leadership doesn't really invite me into the stock. I was going to say, what do you frame. think he's going to say? <laughs> I like just, plain, you know, plain talk? How about if I just... <laughs> like, what it, like he's going to be like, yeah, about, things are tough right now? How about if I tell you, I don't know, but yeah. it'll make good TV. I'll watch. I hope others do as well. 
Again, 4.15 Eastern time, uh, the two Davids, Faber and, and Solomon. You want to give a thought on the banks real quick? We want Morgan Stanley. That's her favorite pick. I mean, echoing a lot of what Stephanie said, capital markets should pick up. I, I expect you got to plan for that by owning it as well. 50% is their wealth management business. And you're avoiding a lot of the, the, the issues the regional banks have had. You know, if you talk about some of the consumer credit issues and some of the delinquencies that may, that may see, you're not going to see that in Morgan Stanley. You're not going to see that so much in Bank of America. Okay, up next, Mike Santoli. He'll be here with his midday word. We're back on the half right after this. Senior Markets Commentator Mike Santoli joining us now. You know, Mike, we were in this predicament a few weeks ago where Apple was kind of unsettled, rates had gone up, the market in general was unsettled, and we said we need both of those things to settle down for the market to rally. They did, the market did rally, and here we are again. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, well, certainly makes it easier for the overall market to stabilize and to maybe make up some of this uh, lost ground if, if Apple's cooperating. Uh, though, you know how I, I stand on Apple, which is that uh, it's not really telling you a lot about the rest of the market necessarily. I look back, you know, the S&P 500, I keep pointing out, has been really closely tracking the two-year-ago levels. The exact trajectory of, of two years ago, the spring and summer, we're, we've been basically riding that line. So two years ago, the S&P was where it is right now. Apple was at 150. Okay, so what that means is the S&P is capable of being at, you know, just under 4,500 or 4,400 and change with Apple lower than it is right now. A lot else has to go right, but the point is that there is a path there. I think today, again, you're seeing rates hover on the 10-year above four and a quarter. That keeps, uh, you know, risk appetite at bay. Banks down 5% this week, and yet, you know, the VIX is under 15. Nobody thinks it's a big deal. It's just telling us what yields are up to. So I still feel like we're just sort of stuck in this little messy period. Uh, we'll see if, uh, if it has to be a deeper proper correction or just, you know, another, uh, another little bit of uh, choppiness before we get through it. All right. We will see uh, for sure. I'll see you uh, in a couple hours on Closing Bell. Mike Santoli. Next up, we're going to check in on ChargePoint. Shares are trading at all-time lows after earnings. Josh owns it. I'm sure he's got some thoughts about it. You'll hear him next. ChargePoint. Take a look. Shares down near 14%. Uh, it's a new record low. That's on an earnings miss. Guidance was weaker than uh, the street anticipated, and I'm sure Josh Brown anticipated no, as no, well. No. I was on the show. I said, ignore, yeah. ignore this thing, please. Don't pay any attention. This is one of the worst-run companies I've ever seen. Everyone involved in it should be ashamed of themselves. Not only are they unable to communicate effectively with Wall Street, they also didn't get the memo that what's in style this year is uh, Taylor Swift and earnings. And they found a way to grow revenue 39% this quarter, year over year, which on paper sounds, wow, that's amazing. They found a way to actually lose more money uh, doing that than when revenue was significantly lower. So operating expenses are out of control. Uh, they said they're gonna do layoffs. They said they're gonna focus on their costs. They have the revenue growth that the shareholders expected to see here, given the category. They just suck at running the business. And uh, I have not been positive on this name. At this point, it's only value to me is as a tax loss, which I will probably need to take by the end of this year to offset some of the things that actually worked out. And may God have mercy on your souls. I don't know, how do you end that? No. Terrible. Garbage. Next. You were mad the other day about it. Uh, and now they actually I stay mad. I'm always mad about yeah, something. Yeah, but true. I'm that not mad true. about this because 
two quarters ago, I said this is like the gang that couldn't shoot straight. Go back and look at the history of their their reports. They literally don't know what they're doing. You either need well, two an quarters ago. Why didn't you sell it? Because I'm an idiot. What do you mean? <laughs> what, what what literally has to happen here? What do you what do you, you want to jump in on this? I have a question. How does this company? I'm not going at you, but how does this question survive when Tesla's partnering with GM and Ford and, and just owning the charging? I'm so network? glad you asked that. That's not actually the issue here. There's a standardization that has taken place this year, so that every car can use every charger. That was actually the logjam that had to be broken. Elon Musk beat the government. The government had the standard that they wanted, and actually now it's going to be on Tesla's, uh, which makes sense. They are the biggest uh, seller of, of uh, electric vehicles in the world. So that actually was a logjam that needed to be broken, and now everybody will have a standardized port. That's not the issue. The issue here is they're growing the company unprofitably two years after every other company publicly traded has figured out, hey, stop doing that. And shareholders don't like it, and it's getting worse, and I really don't know what the solution is. Okay. Uh, coming up, it's game on for sports betting. The NFL season kicking off tonight on NBC and Peacock. Contessa Brewer here to take us inside the numbers. We'll do that next. I have an alert for you because we have some new developments now on the Disney charter standoff. Let's get to Julia Borston, who has the headlines for us. What do we know here, Jules? Well, Scott, Charter CEO Chris Winfrey has been weighing in on this this battle, this negotiation with Disney at the Goldman Sachs Communicopia Conference. He's speaking right now. He said that it's going to be Disney that decides if their content is part of Charter's cable bundle, saying that if you had an environment where Charter no longer carried Disney and carried uh, their, their channels, which is becoming more and more of a reality, you'd have to ask what sports they would re renew and that there would be very little. He said they could imagine a package of general entertainment excluding sports and then they would sell access to sports direct to consumer and streaming video on demand. He also did note that they do have a real sense of urgency. Of course, football starts uh, tonight. He said Disney is the linchpin. ESPN is the linchpin. And he said, I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean it in a very good way and that they have the opportunity to lead the industry. So I'm rooting for them. So we'll have to see whether Disney is willing to budge on Charter's demand that it get access to Disney Plus for its subscribers. Of of course, we have to note that Disney's ESPN um, and ABC do have Monday Night Football, which is coming up in just a couple of days. Scott? But this, Julia, sounds really squarely like the charter CEO is putting the ball uh, in Disney's court big time. Well, I think you you have to wonder whether this is really a turning point for the entertainment industry. Up until now, it would really be unheard of to imagine a pay TV bundle that did not have ESPN. ESPN um, and, of course, even the broadcast networks are sort of seen as essential to this pay TV bundle access to Disney's 19 or so channels has really been considered essential. What he's saying is we are really willing to move forward without ESPN. We're really willing to let this go in order to be able to bring down the cost of the bundle for our subscribers. And at the end of the day, they're saying that the pay TV business is just not as profitable for them as the broadband business is. Wow. Um, interesting comments. Julia, thank you for bringing that to us. Julia Borston. Speaking of sports, the NFL season kicking off tonight on NBC and Peacock, a matchup between the Detroit Lions and the Kansas City Chiefs. New data shows that it's shaping up to be the busiest season yet for football sports betting. No big surprise there, perhaps Contessa Brewer, who joins us now with more details on that. Contessa. Scott, Kentucky has just launched sports betting today, making five states that have launched since the start of football season 
uh, last year. And a record number of Americans, 78 million, say they plan to bet on the NFL this season. That is up 58 percent from last year, according to a just-released survey by the American Gaming Association. The AGA says some of that growth is players moving from the unregulated market into the legal market. But the shares of these companies are under pressure over the last month. Big names like Penn down 10 percent, DraftKings off 5 percent, MGM, BetMGM's co-parent with Entain off 20 percent, FanDuel, Parent, Flutter, Caesars. And I want to show you data provider Sport Radar, which opted not to get the NFL contract to provide NFL data, down 22 percent over the past month. Still, all these sports books and companies have had at least one quarter of positive EBITDA the key gaming metric in for earnings. And they're aiming for significant profitability here, Scott. So, you know, you could bet on the stocks or if you want, you could just bet on the game tonight. As many are going to do. Thank you, Contessa. Sure. That's Contessa Brewer. A reminder, too. Tonight, NBC and Peacock. Don't miss it. 7 o'clock Eastern time. The coverage begins. We can't wait. Football's back. Final trades are next. Well, closing bell, 3 o'clock. Hope you'll join me then. We've got Dan Ives on this Apple sell-off, where he thinks it's going from here. Schwab's Liz Ann Saunders will be with us, too. Joe Turnover, Nicole Webb. We've got the dean of valuation, Aswath Demoter, of NYU. So we talk about valuations of those mega-cap stocks, and I guess the market at large, too. Hope you'll join me. And by the way, next week on Half, we're going west. We're going to be live from the Future Proof Conference out in Huntington Beach, California. That's on Tuesday. Look forward to seeing all of you there for half and closing bell. Got some exciting stuff, Josh Brown. Don't yeah. you? It's, I'm telling you, it's going to be a lot of fun. This we're going to have deal. Some, we're going to have some great guests on the air live from there here on CNBC. So if you're not going to be joining us live, the next best thing is to tune in to Scott Show's uh, halftime and closing bell. Yes, sir. All right. Uh, look forward to being there and uh, seeing you out there and some, some other friends of ours, too. Uh, let's do final trades in the minute that we have left. Bill Baruch, what do you got? Oracle, uh, they report next week on Monday, so, so knowledge that. But they had one of the best reports coming in June. They've outperformed the NASDAQ up 7% versus NASDAQ down 1% over the last 30 days. There's something there. Yeah, positive street call uh, from one of the firms on them today, too. Uh, Farmer Jim. Yeah, Berkshire Hathaway. I mean, obviously the markets are nervous right now, but if you're looking for a place to put money to work and you believe that the economy is a lot stronger than it's been given, uh, been given credit for, then this is the place to put it. Well, Josh, I'll just go to you for a quickie on that. I mean, you've been uh, all over this one for a long time, the Berkshire B. Yeah, well, I'll never sell it. It's a forever position, but it is nice. 93rd birthday coinciding with all-time highs in the stock. What could? What's not? What's not to like? Yeah. You, uh, what is your final trade, Josh, while I have you? Uh, Zoom, very cheap stock. Apparently, they impressed a lot of people at the Goldman Sachs uh, conference this week. All right, Steph? Halliburton, it's been a laggard in oil field service. It's very cheap at nine times EBITDA. All right, good stuff. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for watching. I'll see you on Closing Bell. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its 
completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report disclaimer. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.